0: for this period of time, this season. Um, What we've been doing after the Easter season is going through a series called Chicago Fire, the Spirit-led church in the city. And we've been going through the Book of Acts, which is the uh, first historical account of the early life of the church. And so um, we've been going through different encounters that the uh, church had with um, um, God and obviously um, the Roman government um, and the Jewish population that surrounded them during the time. Um, after Jesus' uh, resurrection. And where we got to uh, last week was getting to a place where we were talking about um, how the church responded whenever the gospel made a fundamental shift um, from just being for the Jewish population, which the... Thank you, Cole. Everybody love Cole? Yeah! yeah. <laughs> He's awesome. So it's... um. The the gospel made a fundamental shift from um, actually just being amongst the Jewish population, which we know that Paul said that the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ is first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, right? Where he said that the gospel was the in fact the fulfillment of all of the prophetic words that had come over the centuries that a Messiah was going to come as a savior for uh, not only the Jewish population but also all of humanity and saving us from our sins. We saw that um, there was a big transition that took place with the Apostle Peter, um, going to the house of Cornelius and extending the good news to the Gentiles as well. And so um, where we uh, pick up is um, in a place in Acts chapter 12 today, And this is going to um, be a message called Jesus and a Persistent Church. We pick up, um, I I think, in a place where many of us have uh, either been in recently or have at least experienced at some point in our lives. And we're going to talk about uh, Jesus and a Persistent Church because just as much as we celebrate the victories that God gives us in our lives, we also know that um, in life, the reality of life brings challenges as well. It brings challenges as well. And so we see that the um, mighty advance of the gospel up through Acts chapter 11 was immediately met with a surprise in Acts chapter 12 um, when you pick up with the life of a man named James, who, if you read any of the gospels before, he was one of Jesus' 12 followers and um, one of the uh, early apostles, one of the disciples of Jesus. And so um, I'm going to start by saying this. It can be tough to serve God when you've been hurt, or disappointed. How many people would agree with that? Okay, it can be tough to serve God when you've been hurt or disappointed. In any walk with God, there comes a point where when trials come that will either make or break your faith. How do you respond in the midst of circumstances is the question. We see that the early church learned to press in during the fiery trial of disappointment to see the God of miracles affirm and strengthen their faith. As a result, the gospel continued to mightily advance, and today, what we're going to do is we're going to learn how to persist in prayer that we might meet the God of miracles even within the prison, even within the prison, because we celebrate and we exalt God during the good times, right? But how many people know that God can meet you in a place that feels like a prison too, that God's there just as much? He's there just as well, okay? So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much um, for your goodness towards us today. We thank you that you're the eternal God. You're the God who um, we celebrate in times of triumph, and God, you, we are, you are also the God that we celebrate in times of trial, that God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You said that about your son, Jesus, and so God, whether it be good times or challenging times, God, we exalt your name today. And even with the baptism of fire that comes not just by your Holy Spirit, but also so through fiery trial, God, we're asking that you would strengthen us and teach us how to worship you, how to honor you, and how to be steadfast in our faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said, "Amen." Okay, if you have a Bible today, let's um, um, turn to Acts chapter twelve, and we're going to start first in verses one through five. Starting in verse 1 through 5, and if um, you're following along today, we're also in another section going to go through verse 19. Um, but if you're taking notes, we're going to break the message up today into these three parts. We're going to talk about um, meeting God by persisting, the second part being in prayer, and then the final part being um, to meet the God who you can find in the prison, okay? So persisting in God, in prayer, in prayer meeting him in the prison, okay? Acts chapter 12, starting at verse 1. It says, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, that's surprising. <laughs> Because the gospel was advancing mightily, the gospel was going forward, and it's not that Jesus himself hadn't been crucified, that Jesus himself wasn't the example of the suffering servant, right? Who, even in the midst of the will of God, actually suffered much to actually fulfill the will of God. But we see that the gospel was advancing in such a way that it was kicking butt and taking names, right? It was kicking butt and taking names. It was taking names amongst the um, um, Gentile world. It was taking names even amongst the um, Jewish population where it said that in Acts chapter 6, even many priests became obedient to the faith. And so things were going well. The church was learning how to be unselfish. They were distributing um, their goods, selling their possessions, and giving to the church family as anyone had need. Things were going well. Even in the midst of Roman opposition, we see that the um, apostles emboldened by the Holy Spirit many times were told to stop their preaching of the word of God. But in the boldness of Christ, they stood up and said, listen, we've got to obey God rather than men. We will not stop preaching about what we've seen of him and what we've heard. And how many people know we have that same charge today, right? So things were going well. The power of God was moving. The power of the Holy Spirit was moving and signs and wonders. um, Blind eyes were opening. People were being um, raised from being crippled for many years and beginning to walk again as a testimony to Jesus' resurrection power. Things were going well. And when you think that things are going well, it's often um, the case that we think that things will always go well. And if things are going well, that means God's favor is with us. But well, oftentimes what we don't realize is that God's favor is just as much with us during the challenging times as it is with us during the good times. And how many people can say amen to that? And what we see is that James was an apostle who was following God wholeheartedly. He was one of, as I said, Jesus' early disciples. But it came to a point in the midst of the good times that Herod, one of the the Gentile kings was actually resisting the gospel, and they inevitably killed James. And how many people know that emotionally that probably like, hit the church in a way that it put the brakes on a little bit? It was sort of like one of our leaders, you know I mean? one of our point people, one of the people who were actually doing the will of God so much so that he was an example to us all, was going forward, and then all of a sudden, um, <clears throat> in God's providence, he was allowed to be killed. He was allowed to be martyred. And if, if I were one of the disciples, I'm just saying, I would have had a moment of pause. Anybody else? Like, I would have been like, well, listen, if he's about to get, die, you know what I mean? And he was one of Jesus' right-hand men, I don't know how I'm going to fare. You know what I mean? When I'm talking about Jesus loves you, you know what I mean? i draw my Ithaca's fish in the sand. You know what I mean? I'd be running, right? Because if that happened to James, what is that going to say about me, Right? If that happened to James when he was doing the will of God, how am I going to deal with uh, disappointment whenever I'm trying to um, do the will of God in my everyday life as well? But the first thing that I'd like to say is that in all suffering and in all disappointment, God's love remains the same and he's got purpose for it. God's love remains the same and he's got purpose for it. In the case of James, we see that um, I think what Billy Graham said once was actually reflected well. He said, this is what Billy Graham said, that courage is contagious. When a brave man or brave woman takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. I'll repeat that. He said, courage is contagious. When a brave man or woman takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. And a lot of times in the purpose and the providence of God, we see that our faith is often strengthened and stiffened and made secure and steadfast and unchanging, not just in the good times when we're coasting, but it's during the challenging times that we see the metal that's actually in us. And we see that even though James was persecuted and then eventually martyred, that Peter, his brother-in-arms in the faith, was stiffened in his faith to continue to preach the gospel in an unyielding manner when James even went to his death having been a witness for Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you that whatever challenge you may be facing today, it might be that the stiffening of your faith is not just for you, but it might be for others who are watching you too. It might be for those who are also going to go through fiery trials of their own, and it's through the way that you respond to your disappointment or respond to your suffering that's going to strengthen the faith of others, not if but when they go through challenges themselves. And what we see is that James was a good example of that, even unto his death. Now, I'd like to um, point out that trials, a lot of times we think of trials as um, in one of two camps. Either it's a punishment, or number two, it's just part of God's design to make us more like Jesus. But I'd like to say that there are at least three things that that the trials you can endure can be indicators of. And I'd like to say this very plainly, make it plain that, number one, that the trials that you're enduring can, first of all, be inflictions that are self-imposed because of wrongdoing or sinful choices. How many people can admit and say amen to that? Okay, not all trials are just God allowing something to happen to you because he's trying to get Christ formed in you. Sometimes it's because of the mistakes that we've made, right? How many people know that if I come home and I, like after a hard and long day work and I blast my kids all the time because I'm frustrated, right, that eventually it's because of my sin being harsh with them that our relationship will be broken. It's not because of what God's trying to form in me. It's because of my poor response, you know what I mean, to the circumstances that I'm actually seeing something happen in a negative fashion. Or we know um, the same thing that we talked about last week, even when people are, are experiencing times of famine, right? Even in their soul, relationally or emotionally, and then they begin to go outside of the faith, right? How many people know that Jesus isn't into missionary dating? Okay, hallelujah! <laughs> okay, you don't need to be dating somebody who doesn't love God to win them to God. Why don't you preach to them first, see them bow their knee to Jesus, and then go down that altar of holy matrimony, okay? (laughs) Sort of like, but many times we see issues, right, even relationally because people have chosen to go outside of the design of God and they receive the repercussions of that. God said, don't do it, I've got a better way for you, right? Now, if you find yourself in such a place, obviously the good news is that we can repent of the sin and ask Jesus to put you back on the right track through his word. But number two, if you are experiencing trials, it might be the product of others having a proje- um, the uh, the product of other sin having a projected effect on your life. Meaning that many of us grew up in homes that were broken. Many of us grew up in homes that were dysfunctional for various causes and manners. Some of you might have grown up, for instance, in a home full of alcoholism. And that wasn't necessarily something that you chose yourself, but you are facing trials or you face trials growing up because of the sin of others that affects you, right? And the good news of the gospel, though, is that... Through the gospel, others' decisions do not determine your destiny. Others' decisions do not determine your destiny, but through the cross, the Bible said that Jesus himself became a curse on the tree for us so that he might deliver us from the power of the curse. Meaning that the curse can actually stop with you when you turn to Jesus and look to him for healing and deliverance. And that's good news. So if the sin um, or the trial was a product of your own sin, good news, you can repent. If this um, trial you're going through was a product of someone else's sin, good news, you can go to him and be healed. And in the third place, though, what we see with James is that sometimes trials and the resistance that comes from the gospel being preached is a product of the spiritual advancement of the gospel, Sometimes trials and sometimes suffering occurs just because things are going well in the economy of God. There is a battle that takes place between the spiritual forces of evil, the Bible says in the heavenly realms and also the way that we live our everyday life. You can go into the city, you can go into your workplace and you can feel it at some time at some points. How many of you can feel it sometimes when you go into a certain atmosphere you feel there's a spiritual darkness that's there that you're going into but the good news is what that the Bible says that he who is in you is greater than He who's in the world, and then when you go into a place carrying the presence of God with you, you're an agent of change to see the light penetrate that darkness and even change the atmosphere and the environment. And that's good news, but sometimes, just like in James' case, the trial or the suffering can come when the gospel is advancing and when things are going well. But in the case of James, the disciple of Jesus, it was when he was doing the right thing, standing for Christ, that his trial came. The question, though, comes that in the midst of those sufferings, in the midst of those disappointments, as in the death of James, when he was doing the right thing, how do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with disappointment? How many of you in here trying to serve God and do the right thing have ever been disappointed before? (laughs) Most of us, right? Most of us. How do you deal with disappointment? We have a choice to make when we see things turn out in unexpected manners. Disappointment will cause us to do one of two things. It will cause us either, number one, to press in, or number two, to pull out. Those are the two options, is it not? Are they not? When we're disappointed, even trying to serve God and even trying to do the things that God himself said to do. Our response to disappointment is one of two things. We can either press in, in the midst of disappointment, or we can pull out. The disciples, as we're about to read about, had a choice to make whenever James was killed, and then Peter was arrested. The question for you today is how have you been disappointed in the past when you've expected God to move? How have you been disappointed in the past when you've expected God to move? This determines who you will ultimately become. How you respond to disappointment determines who you will ultimately become. The disciples pressed in after James' martyrdom, and because of it, God worked yet another miracle. The church was strengthened, and the gospel mightily advanced. Many of you are familiar with Charles Spurgeon, who was um, called the Prince of Preachers in London um, during the 1800s. He was um, the pastor of one of the first modern megachurches, and he said these three things that I think can encourage you. We'll put the quotes up on the screen. Charles Spurgeon said this about times of fiery trial or disappointment. So just as much as we're talking about Chicago fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit, right, to move in power amongst the people, there are fiery trials that will affect the people of God and either refine them or break them. And Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, First of all, many men and women owe the grandeur of their lives to the tremendous difficulties that they encounter. <laughs> I like how T.D. Jake said it. He said that, you know, um, I'm just paraphrasing, but he said basically that the anointing comes from the trials that you suffer and that you endure, not break under, but endure. Charles Spurgeon also said this, as if we cannot believe God when circumstances seem to be against us, we do not believe him at all. If we cannot believe God when circumstances seem to be against us, then we do not believe him at all. This is only a reflection of what the Proverbs say, where he said, if a man or a woman falters in times of trouble, how small is their strength? That's why he also said, listen, the friends that I'm going to give you, and this is why church community is so important, he said that a brother or sister was born for adversity was born not just for the good times where you can party, because anybody remember partying with their friends, right? But then it's sort of like when the tough times came, they were scarce to be found. He said a brother is born for adversity, and in Jesus there's a brother, friend who sticks closer than a brother, right? And finally, Charles Spurgeon said that fiery trials make golden Christians. <laughs> I love it fiery trials make golden Christians, and our encouragement to you today is over the course of your life, many of you are young today, many of you are at the beginning stages of your career, many of you are at the beginning of stages of your family, many of you are at the point where you're sort of in a time of transition, you haven't experienced all that you will, but we're giving you a message today to say that not if, but when the trials come, you need to continue to stand. And you need to continue to press in. Many of you are experiencing things that you did not expect to experience in your lifetime. But it's okay, God will be there with you and help you to stand. Now the enemy of your soul, meaning the devil, there is a devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Do not think that he does not have a part to play in the trials and the sufferings that you experience. Just as much as there is a God who is alive and active and real, just as much as there are angels of heaven who do his bidding, you better believe that there is an enemy involved in the plans and the machinations of men and women who do not believe affecting your life. And the enemy of your soul would love to use trials to isolate you and imprison you. That's what we see. He would love to use the trials that you're experiencing to isolate you and imprison you. Meaning that I can't take the heat. I can't take the pain. I cannot take this suffering. And so I'm going to go in my room, turn on Enya and rock. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> That's His plan. And what do these prisons look like? Amongst other things, they can be at least four things. Number one, they can be physical, as in the case of Peter, when he was physically imprisoned, prison. Or in the case of many believers, even around the world today, who are being persecuted for the faith and imprisoned prison physically. That's why the Bible says we need to pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world who are enduring sufferings. There are people today who are being killed for their faith there are people today who are being imprisoned for the gospel not for any wrongdoing according to the law but according just to the gospel and he says to pray for them there are physical imprisonments that the enemy can try to <clears throat> expose to people to number two there can be financial imprisonments right right you can be stuck in a job you feel like is death to your soul or in debt because of life, decisions, or circumstances. That can be a form of imprisonment that God wants to free you from. Number three, you can be in a habitual prison where you disappear into various vices and sin as a way to escape the pain of your disappointment. Disappointment. And many times people who started off on a good track will disappear or find in escapism alcohol or drugs or promiscuous relationships or all types of pornography just to ease the pain that they're experiencing because of the disappointment they have when they were trying to serve God. Meaning I've given it my all, I've given it my best strength and I'm tired now. And so I just need to turn off my mind, turn off my heart, and just let something else speak to me. Because I've given it my all and I've ended up hurt. Or I've ended up disappointed, right? Or number four, it can be an emotional prison. Where you stop wanting to engage God, other believers, or even His church because of your disappointment. Many people have been there. I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt in the church. And so I'm rejecting the church. Or I've been disappointed by God. I've asked Him for certain things. He hasn't come through in the way I've expected Him to. So I don't feel like I can even talk to Him anymore. I don't feel like I can relate to Him anymore. I don't feel like I can go before the throne of mercy as He calls it because I don't feel it when I'm there. And the enemy can try to lock you up in that place, and it becomes a prison to you. But the good news of the gospel is that he's the God even of the prison. And he can meet you even if you find yourself in a prison today. Let's go back to Acts chapter 12, starting at verse 6. It said, Now when Herod was about to bring him out, meaning Peter, who was imprisoned, on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. Don't take your time. Peter, get up quickly. I'm coming to help you, but you better move, baby. (laughs) Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that he was, what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose um, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, In her joy, she did not open the gate, (laughs) but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And Peter was like, Woman, let me in. They said to her, You are out of your mind. Isn't that funny? The people who were praying for Peter's release, (laughs) whenever he was released, said to the people coming to report his release, You're kidding. That didn't really happen. We're just praying. (laughs) But when she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel, (laughs) but Peter continued knocking, saying, it's cold. I'm hungry. (laughs) The food in the prison stinks. Okay. When they opened, they saw him and were amazed, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent. (laughs) He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Not dead James, and other James. <laughs> then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had come, become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Unfortunate. Better end up on the right side. Then he went down from Judea and Caesarea, and spent the time there. What can we learn about God meeting us in a place of prison? Well, first of all, what we see is that we're not to suffer alone. When you feel like you're in a prison, you need to determine not to suffer alone. And that is the temptation of every one of us. That is a temptation for women, and it's also the temptation for men. If you have any time in the city, you've got a little bit of strength about you. How many people can say amen to that? Whether you were born here, grew up here, or just were displaced and were like, I'm not in Kansas anymore, you know, know, had to actually develop new habits about yourself, you've got a strength. But the unfortunate thing about that strength is it could also lean you towards self-sufficiency if you're not careful. It can make you think that you can only show yourself to friends, family members, or your church in the good times when you feel strong and not in the bad. And what God's saying here is that you need to clearly identify and make a commitment not to suffer alone. In all trials, strive to pray earnestly in faith, even when you seem to have been disappointed in the past. That is what the church had to do. How many people know that after they saw the death of James, or the martyrdom of James, they probably started to pray a little bit more earnestly? They're like, well, listen, we were probably like praying over our food. God is good, God is great, you know? Let us thank him for our food. But James has died. And now Peter's arrested. How many people know we need to press in a little bit more? And so it becomes the difference between perfunctory prayer and actually prayer that's based on desperation. And that's what we need to get to as a people of God, do we not? That's a good place to be and actually an empowering place to be and a safe place to be. Where you feel like, I can't do this unless God himself breaks through. And if you're going to fulfill the purposes of God on your life, you need to get to that place. Where you understand that the purposes of God will only be fulfilled by God. The God who said, it is God, when David praying in the Psalms, he said, it's the Lord who will fulfill his purpose for me. Not me, I've got to lean on him, press into him, and say, if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. But you don't do this alone. You do this in community. When you feel that you don't have the strength, you need to call on your brothers and sisters in the church who will intercede for you as the early church did for Peter. That's part of this shared life that we keep talking about. You do not need to just show up here Sunday after Sunday being unknown. You need to avail yourself to being known and actually make yourself known to others. You need to get to know the man and the woman on your right and on your left. Why? Because they are the people who will stand with you in that time of need. And if they haven't learned to do so yet, that's why we're preaching. (laughs) To form and shape a body that reflects the heart of God. Don't suffer alone. When we press in, God will show up with instruction when we're seeing that he's the God of not only the good times, but also the challenging times, finding him even in the prison, we see that when we press in, God will show up with instruction of what needs to be done to free us from our prison. Isn't that good news? So he didn't just leave Peter there, but he sent that angel, and the angel came with some instructions. He said, Peter, get dressed. <laughs> Get dressed, or you might be right back in here. That's <laughs> good. Okay, The point is, get dressed quickly and follow me out. And if you found yourself in a prison today, God's got some instruction for you to lead you out, according to His word. Your circumstances may not change immediately, but the power is in aligning aligning yourself with God's perspective as you wait for the miracle to occur. As you're getting God's perspective and He's giving you instruction, what we need to commit to is when He speaks, whether by His Word or by His Spirit or through another Christian, you need to obey immediately obey immediately obey immediately how many people have ever tried to reason the about the instruction that god's given them about how to get out of the prison and then that grace period was quickly closing and then all of a sudden it was like why am i still here i was really thinking about what god said to do And he said, I didn't tell you to think about it. I told you to do it. For me, when I was coming out of my prison of worldliness, having all types of ungodly relationships in the world, God told me, quickly cut that relationship off. And God Almighty, I was reasoning about it. I was like, if loving you is wrong... I don't want to be right. You know, it's sort of like I remember saying, God, if you save me, you can save her too. And he's like, not today. (laughs) Get up and get out quickly. And the more I played with it, the more I suffered. But when I chose to obey him quickly, I was set free. When I had quick obedience, I was set free. In Peter's case, delayed obedience could have actually cost him his life. You need to think about that. When God is giving you instruction, he's trying to save your life. He's trying to save your life, whether physically, whether financially, whether spiritually, whether romantically. He is trying to save you. And just like Peter, we need to obey quickly. The question is, what is God telling you that needs to change in your present state to free you from your prison? What is it that needs to change? Is the Holy Spirit speaking? Yes. Yes. And He's speaking something different to you than He's speaking to the man or the woman on your right and on your left, because He loves each of you individually. He loves us corporately as a church, but he will speak to you as his child. And the same loving correction or discipline that he has for someone else doesn't mean it's for you, but you need to respond to what he's telling you. The surprise of answered prayer is a reflection of the gospel and God's grace. It is Jesus' death on the cross and subsequent resurrection from the dead three days later that initiated God's plan of rescue by freeing us from our imprisonment to sin? This is what we'll be celebrating with the baptisms today, and why you need to be water baptized if you have not already. And I'm encouraging anybody who, like, you know, what I mean, got forced to do it when you were two years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? You were not repenting. You were being given a bath by your parents at church, okay? And it was cute and, and it was nice, you know? But the Bible says that water baptism is a baptism of repentance, where you're actually saying, Jesus, your Lord. I give it up to you. And if you're telling me to obey, I'm going to obey quickly. Like the Ethiopian eunuch, right? When he was talking to Philip... He said, Here, you explained Isaiah to me. Here now is some water. What is keeping me from getting baptized? I don't care if you're a visitor today. <laughs> I don't care if you're just in town for the weekend. If you know that God is stirring your heart to repent and believe the good news, today needs to be your day. Because he went into that water, got baptized, got set free, then came out and Philip was gone. <laughs> He didn't see him again. You may not see my bald black head again. (laughs) But you will answer to God. But you will answer to God. And the thing is, you need to have quick obedience if he's going to set you free from your prison. God is happy to surprise us when it falls into alignment with his greater gospel good. I'm going to end by saying this, that the basis, what, what do trials and sufferings do? They ultimately show us the basis of our confidence. The basis of your confidence is exposed in the midst of trials. Is it not? The basis of your confidence, all those self-affirmations won't work anymore, right? Looking in the mirror, talking about I'm good enough, I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. (laughs) Right? That won't help when you're going through a real trial, a fiery trial. The basis of your confidence needs to be Christ and Christ alone. The grace of God expressed to you and through His Son. That's why a miracle can occur in your life, even in a prison. That's why a miracle can occur. I'm going to ask for one more scripture to be put on the screen and then we're going to close. I'm trying to close. I don't even know what time it is, but we're going to, I'm trying to close early so that people can eat before we go to bat, um, baptize people so that people don't like fall into the water. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, I think summarizes it very well and it needs to encourage you day after day after day in both challenging times as well as in high horse times, when you're feeling good, Galatians three, starting at verse one, he said, Paul's talking to the Galatian church, and he's giving them some encouragement. He says, "Oh, foolish Galatians!" <laughs> That's how he starts his encouragement. Okay, <laughs> he says, "Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you?" It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, by works of the law? Meaning that you were good enough, that you did everything right? That you were deserving of God working a miracle in your life, or actually delivering you in your time of pain or imprisonment? Did He work a miracle because of that? Is what He's asking them. Or, by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And that what happens eventually with Christians, right? Even though we receive His salvation by grace, through faith, eventually what begins to happen is that we slowly ebb over into the camp of self-righteousness. And we say that if I do enough, I'll deserve enough of God's favor that He'll want to move on my behalf. And this is what He's addressing there. He's saying, don't start that way and then end up somewhere else. He said, this righteousness that God's gonna give you is by faith from beginning to end. The same grace you needed at the beginning is the same grace you'll need 15 years from now, 20 years from now. 30 years from now until you see Jesus face to face. Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do we not serve a God of miracles? The answer is yes. Yes. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer is by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In the midst of your fiery trial, this is how I'll end. Your charge is to believe God. Your charge is to persist in faith, in the midst of your disappointment and believe God. Do you hear me? That is your charge. Because outside of this setting where we're getting encouraged in the Word of God, real life comes. Real life comes and you'll have to deal with relationships and work and your finances and your children and all types of family members and you'll say, what do I do with this? And the answer is, trust in Christ and believe his promises to you. If you've been disappointed before or seen somebody else disappointed, that doesn't mean you will be. You go down swinging. You understand? James might have died, but Peter was set free. And in the mercy of God, he loved them both. He loved them both. And Why? Can we stand on that? Because this life isn't the end of the story. This is only the beginning chapters of eternity to come. So whether in life or in death, God is good. Whether in life or in death, Jesus is exalted. Whether in life or in death, He's the God of miracles who's ready to set His people free when we don't pull out but press in. Amen? Amen. Let's worship.